The following KOPN podcast is made possible by the generous donations from listeners like you. Please consider a donation to listener-supported community radio, KOPN. You can donate securely online at kopn.org. Thank you. Hi, welcome to Food Sleuth Radio, where we help you think beyond your plate. I'm Melinda Hemmelgarn, a registered dietitian and investigative nutritionist on a mission to connect the dots between food, health, and agriculture and find food truth. And today I am honored to welcome my guest, Ms. Lisa McDowell. She is a fellow registered dietitian and director of nutrition at St. Joseph Mercy Health System based in Ann Arbor, Michigan where she started a 25-acre organic farm to ensure fresh produce for patients and employees. In 2011, she began working with the Detroit Red Wings professional ice hockey team and is now their official team dietitian. Ms. McDowell is a Michigan State graduate and certified specialist in sports dietetics. We last spoke four years ago about sports nutrition, but today I'd like to focus on nutrition and boosting our immune system. I recently heard her interview on the Red and White Authority about her personal experience with COVID-19 and thought we might focus today on her expertise when it comes to specific foods and nutrients and how they affect our immune system. I might add that Ms. McDowell is a young, strong, vital woman. She ran the New York Marathon four years ago and most recently ran 50 miles in the Grand Canyon, rim to rim. You wouldn't think that she would be somebody who would be infected with the coronavirus, but indeed she was. So we're here to have her tell her story with a nutrition link. Welcome, Lisa. It is such an honor to have you with me again, and I am so grateful that you are alive. Thank you for inviting me, Melinda. I am so happy to be a guest because the information gleaned from the experts you interview are really shaping our future, and we need these experts more than ever. Yeah. All right. So you're a strong, healthy woman, and yet you became (laughs) infected with the coronavirus. Do you know when that happened, or was it community-acquired? You know, I wear two hats in my professional career, working here as a clinical dietitian in Ann Arbor at our hospital. And then I also work in sports stadiums around the country when we travel. So I had some recent travel in January and February. And also our hospital was taking care of a lot of patients who had tested positive for COVID-19. So I'm not really certain where my exposure took place, but I know that I had the luxury of seeing it happen on one of the wearable technologies that I use just to measure my own sleep and wellness. And I could see that I had a very high respiratory rate and my heart rate variability and my temperature were very off. So I woke up and I immediately went back to sleep and my taste was gone, my smell was gone, unable to eat for at least a week. It was very, very tough. So I, as a patient in my own health system, had the support of my physician friends who helped guide me through the testing process. Michigan has been especially hard hit. I think at this point, 
We're at number two in the United States for deaths. The, the Wayne County, which is where the Detroit city limits are, is number two right behind New York City. So Michigan has been very hard hit, and our hospitals and their resources have been definitely tested with many employees being exposed, and uh, it's just been gut-wrenching to watch my colleagues supporting patients without family members present for the patients who are so sick. Being on the inside of the hospital as a patient is just really never what you want. Right. Well, I'm curious about your own self-wellness monitoring. You know, most of us are not at the level of athleticism as you are. You know, most of us, maybe we exercise, say, maybe 30 minutes to an hour. Maybe we go out and walk. I don't know how many of us, though, are actively monitoring our blood oxygen and our heart rate. Your lack of sense of smell and taste, that seems to be one of the red flags that comes up when it comes to, oh, wait, something's going on here that isn't right. This could be COVID-19. What was it that led you to seek medical care? So for me, I was highly suspicious that I quite possibly had it. It was very early on in March that I started becoming sick, and I really spent the whole month of March recovering. But my temperature was uh, about 104.7 for over a week. Mm. And after one week of that, I was encouraged to come in to the hospital for testing. And the delay in getting the test results back was about six days. Wow. I was pretty sure I had it, and then it was confirmed. And it just took a long time. Many patients report a second wave of a cytokine storm um, after you start to feel better and uh, a lot of thrombolytic events. It's just such a a scary virus attacking so many different areas of the body. And I did my best to try to do what I would recommend my family members do and just kind of push through. But I was the sickest I've ever been. Yeah. Well, and you know, it's interesting because if you talk to different healthcare providers, There is some variation in terms of, well, do you stay home because you don't want to go into the hospital and perhaps be exposed if you don't have COVID-19? But there's got to be a point at which we say to ourselves, we've got to go in for healthcare now before it gets so bad where I might have to be on a ventilator. And I just want to confirm, you did not have to go on a ventilator. No, I did not. And I, again, have, I've been at St. Joseph Hospital for more than 25 years, and I'm fortunate, I'm blessed to have the support of a lot of amazing physicians who were monitoring and helping me and required me to come in for testing, and I had access to a pulse oximeter to know what my respiratory status was looking like and just watching the fever, but It's really something when you think, like you said, that you're taking care of yourself, you're exercising, you have a good knowledge of nutrition, and you try to eat healthy, 
I'm a big fan of the Blue Zone concepts for wellness and uh, supporting healthy behaviors with connecting with the right people and having good sleep, so trying to move around more, stressing less, laughing more, <laughs> you know, trying to do all the right things, but somehow the virus found a way in. Yeah. And I wonder, had you not been as fit as you were going into this, if you would have been able to survive it? You know, I think about, well, why would Michigan be at such a high rate of death? And you think, well, you've got a lot of population that might have obesity, diabetes, high blood pressure, maybe asthma. We know about the Flint, yeah. Michigan case where there's a high lead yeah. level in the water. So you're already compromised going into the viral load. So the fact that you were so strong and fit going into this and still had a rough time really needs to be a wake-up call, I think, for many of us to pay more attention to, as you say, how can we give ourselves the best chance for surviving this disease should, God forbid, it happen to strike us? Yeah, you know, you're right. The comorbidities in the Detroit area are significant. The health disparities in the access to fresh, healthy food is also a very important issue. And there's a lot of interesting data around vitamin D status with respiratory infections. And so African-American populations, and, and in Michigan, you know, we really don't see good quality sunshine until, you know, May through September, October, and then it really is <laughs> it's unusual for the sun to be strong enough to activate the vitamin D. So there may be a role with that as well. Mm -hmm. um, but I do think that this is a great time to hit the pause button and to assess how can we all allow optimum health behaviors into our days and looking at our nutrition intake so that we can build a healthy immune system, paying attention to the things that we know make the biggest difference, like good quality sleep and access to produce that has a lot of micronutrients that we know are so important for the pathways for preventing inflammation and respiratory diseases. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the thing with vitamin D is so interesting too, because as we get older, if we have darker skin, if we're overweight, then the efficiency of being able to switch the sunlight to making vitamin D in the skin is lessened. So another reason to pay attention to vitamin D levels, which may or may not be routinely screened. And it usually is not. And so you've got a really important upregulation of the ACE2 receptors in vitamin D, you know, influences our susceptibility to the COVID-19 infection. And interestingly enough, I did have the opportunity to have my blood work tested when we do our Detroit Red Wing blood tests, and I was extremely vitamin D deficient. Really? <laughs> and I look back and I'm like, Hmm, I never did start taking a vitamin D supplement. And so I've let this vitamin D deficiency linger since that would have been last September that we had it tested. Yeah. So I, I found that connection a little bit interesting. And you're right on about the darker skin having a higher prevalence of both 
vitamin D deficiency as well as hypertension and diabetes. Mm -hmm. So I think that's why we're seeing such a high mortality in Wayne County. And again, it, it gives us extra fuel for our passion to help our own here in Michigan and do a much better job with the resources that we have and getting the proper health messages as well as access to food and subsidized maybe farm shares if patients can't afford it. I'm so proud of our farm here at St. Joe. As you mentioned, we have a 25-acre organic farm, which was the first farm in the United States on a hospital campus. And right now we're doing produce to providers. We have given over 500 pounds of washed leafy green bags to our frontline workers. And then we also are connecting patients who are COVID positive with a drop-off of farm shares to their house. They may be uh, recovering with social isolation. So we're just so incredibly We feel that the messaging and the proper nutrients can really help our patients and our staff through such a trying time. So many people have been generous with donations, but many of them, unfortunately, are the empty calories, and I'm not immune to enjoying a delicious cookie, but we also need the good things on our plate. I think... Our immune system is very dependent on our food supply chain, and we're only as good as what we have access to. So if the hospital can help arrange connections for those who are having a difficult time, especially during the pandemic, Michigan has a stay-at-home order through the end of May. So it's difficult for many. So we've been very creative with different opportunities like apps on our phone to be able to identify those who might need help getting the healthier food delivered. Mm. That is a remarkable program that you've established there at the hospital. It should be a national model. Let me take one break and remind our listeners, if you're just joining us, you're tuned into Food Sleuth Radio, and we are joined by Ms. Lisa McDowell. She is a registered dietitian, director of nutrition at St. Joseph Mercy Health System based in Ann Arbor, Michigan. She is the official team dietitian for the Detroit Red Wings, and she is a COVID-19 survivor. Lisa, let's dive into some of the other specific nutrients that we know either may be critical for boosting our nu- our nutrition to boost our immune system, as well as which nutrients might be at risk for being low. I heard an interview with you where you identified among your athletes in Detroit that they were low in magnesium, and it was one of the reasons why you were adamant about using organic foods because the soil quality from an organic farm or an organic garden, the food that comes from that organic garden is more likely to have a higher magnesium level. So what do we need to know about magnesium? That's an incredible insight. I've had the benefit of measuring blood values in our teams over the last 10 years and looking at trends. And I think when you look at professional athletes, They are definitely at the extreme of the spectrum for what their requirements are because they're turning over their stores so rapidly with exercise, an extreme exercise. 
And so when you look at some of the micronutrients, and also I've had the opportunity to look at DNA results with maybe problems with methylating folate and how that could lead to elevated homocysteine levels. So we try to look at each individual athlete to understand where their vulnerabilities might be. And I found over time that the micronutrients that we measured, nobody had an excess. And uh, if anything, there were some common deficiencies, one being red blood cell magnesium, which is a little more accurate. You're not going to see magnesium in the overall body pool being depleted until you're extremely deficient. But in our athletes, we often would see these drops in red blood cell magnesium because of the higher demand needed for a professional hockey player. So it made me start to think about how do we get the right food supply in for these athletes? And we have the benefit of being able to provide them breakfast, lunch, dinner, post-game, food on the airplane, food on the road. And I've learned so many important lessons about how to feed our athletes without it being extremely expensive. I'm trying to simply get like a Buddha bowl for under $15, but it's just loaded with micronutrient-dense food. So in doing so, eating the rainbow, looking for sources of food that has vitamin C, quercetin, catechins, anthocyanins, selenium, zinc, the polyphenols, resveratrol, you know, all of these micronutrients that have really nice evidence for improving sport performance also have evidence for keeping our immune system fighting and at its peak. And so I find that the message of what we include on our plate is the most important, more important than what we exclude because the good food will crowd out the junk food because everybody craves feeling great and feeling alive and energetic. And so when you eat food that has these micronutrients, you just feel better. And so it's an easy win for me if I can make our default choice the healthy choice, but more importantly, a delicious choice. And so learning recipes, teaching the patients as well as the athletes how to cook simple recipes with things that are not exquisitely exotic and hard to find or expensive, but just making real food easily into five ingredient recipes is what my goal is all the time. And from there, we can measure immune response. Like I mentioned, we have the ability to really monitor professional athletes. And so the lessons that I've learned along the way are managing stress, recovery, cortisol, supporting good sleep tips, and then healthy targeted nutrition nutrients at specific times in the day that can set an athlete up for success. Like we know alcohol impairs good quality sleep. We know fried food impairs good quality sleep. So these messages that we've observed over time can definitely be applied to the general population to help everybody develop a very healthy, strong immune system which is going to be crucial because it doesn't sound like COVID-19 or other coronaviruses are going to be eradicated. It sounds like our system 
may see a revisit come fall or winter next year. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've heard the same, that we really have to press the reset button on so much of what we do. I wanted to go back to the vitamin D story because I think a lot of our listeners may be wondering, okay, vitamin D is good. How much should I be taking? I have heard different people recommend different amounts daily. Personally, I use a 2000 IU level of a supplement. How do you take vitamin D? What do you recommend? Great question. The recommendation without having a level drawn is a daily dose of at least a thousand IUs of D3 taken with food because it is a fat soluble vitamin. And that that 1000 of D3 seems to be a dose that will at least provide you with some vitamin D. Higher doses like 2000, 4000, 5000 are very common. In sport, we do use a daily dose of 5,000. The recommendation is a daily dose max of 4,000 I use of D3, but we have so many deficiencies on our team being in Michigan. So my recommendation for the listeners is, number one, have a conversation with your primary care physician to see if it warrants a vitamin D test. Vitamin D is so important for mood and, again, our immune system and many other processes. It's actually a hormone involved in so many physiologic functions. And so making certain that there's not a deficiency, and if a deficiency is identified, then the dose is actually higher to help bring that up. It's important to have cofactors like vitamin K2, so like a leafy green salad, so as not to overdo any type of calcification with extra vitamin D. But I think um, it's it's hard to find enough foods that have vitamin D. I know in Michigan, a lot of people do take a vitamin D supplement. And like I said, our sun exposure is pretty seasonal. And so looking for a a good quality vitamin D that maybe has the NSF certification to make sure there are no added contaminants or any other ingredients that you wouldn't expect. The NSF certification validates that what is stated on the bottle is the actual dose. Yeah, I agree. That's really good advice. Now, you mentioned magnesium as typically being deficient in the American population, as well as what you saw in your athletes. For me, I'm like you. I believe in food first. And it's one of the reasons why I have such great respect for you is because you realize that we really weren't meant to be taking nutrients in pill form. We were meant to get them from foods first. And that is certainly how I guide my practice. But magnesium is fairly ubiquitous in leafy greens, in nuts and seeds, but it's not something that we see typically consumed. These are the kinds of foods that are short in the diet. I love that if there's any silver lining that this disease rolled in with springtime when people are getting out in their gardens. And I think that this is a good impetus to say, let's get some leafy greens planted in the soil so you have ready access to the freshest, most delicious greens possible. What else would you have to say about magnesium before we go on to some other nutrients? I think hardwiring choices into the day that are a rich source of magnesium is very helpful. So, for example, we do a lot with overnight oats or oatmeal and adding a little bit of either 
flax seeds, which has a nice source of magnesium, as well as peanut butter, maybe a little bit of dark chocolate, avocados, bananas. So just looking for foods that are high in magnesium and making either a breakfast or a snack concentrated with those sources. I think developing those habits, being aware of all the micronutrients that we need to get in a day, what is the easiest way to build our plates out so that we're recognizing the contributions of some of these specific micronutrients that have been studied not only for health and healthy immune systems and decreasing inflammation, but also for longevity. So foods with quercetin and resveratrol, making sure that we really are making it a habit to, to get these foods into our day. And again, I think you, you start to crave how you feel after you have a meal that is just loaded with these micronutrients. I personally started growing microgreens at my house, and I'm just so in love with them. And uh, it's such an easy way to get such a concentrated dose of, like, say, sulforaphane and broccoli sprouts. Just it's off the charts, and it's so easy to, to take one or two ounces of microgreens and add them to a salad. Yeah, the broccoli sprouts in particular have had some very interesting research around them. So I think we're all really smart to be able to grow more of these foods ourselves because they're expensive or maybe not accessible to a large part of the population. So good advice there. The other nutrients that have seemed to come up with regard to a discussion about the immune system, the two that rise to the top are zinc and vitamin C. Do you want to say anything about those? Sure. I think both zinc and vitamin C have a lot of interesting data connected to the virus, for certain for colds as well. There, there are some really interesting studies on shortening the duration of the cold of the viruses with vitamin C and zinc. So paying attention to what can we add that the virus doesn't like. Mm. And I know that I had zero appetite and really the only thing that I ate was oranges and I had these vitamin C gummies that had zinc in them and I was eating as much as I could tolerate. There's interesting studies going on with IV vitamin C, not as a treatment, but as an adjuvant therapy to see if that can help negate the ravage of the virus. So I think it's easy to get magnesium and potassium and vitamin C and zinc if you have a lot of different colors on your plate. And the message to the United States is what are we putting on our plates? What are we calling food? What are the ingredients? And it's just, this is the time to really stop, take an assessment of what you're purchasing and choosing as your daily habit. Mm -hmm. Lisa, our time is up. It has flown by. But in closing, I want to thank our listeners for joining us. I want to remind everyone that Food Sleuth Radio is produced by Dan Hemmelgarn through KOPN Studios at beautiful downtown Columbia, Missouri. Most of all, I want to thank my guest, Ms. Lisa McDowell, Registered Dietitian, Director of Nutrition at St. Joseph Mercy Health System, Team Dietitian for the Detroit Red Wings, and survivor of COVID-19. Lisa, is there a website where we can lead people to some more information? Absolutely. If you were to go on the Detroit Red Wings homepage, 
I have a blog there with a lot of these health tips that are very simple and translatable and some really nice recipes. Great. I will provide a link to that. I want to thank you so much for all of your excellent work. You are one of the smartest, most competent dietitians I know. Thank you for sharing your time with us. Thank you, Melinda. It's been my honor to be on your show. 